Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. I'm just Scruffy Charlie with a dog in a barn. I don't really know very much. I'm not on one side of the river saying this is how you get across. I'm on the same side of the river as everybody else saying, I wonder how we can cross this together. Hello, my name's Bryony Gordon and welcome to the latest series of Mad World. When we first launched this podcast back in 2017, our tagline was because it's really, really normal to feel weird. And well, haven't we all had the weirdest of years? This time 12 months ago, when I spoke to you from my bedroom, microphone hastily propped up on my dressing table, I explained that we wanted to release some episodes to bring you comfort when you were locked down. But I obviously had no idea what the next year would have in store. And I wanted to start this series with a guest who I know has brought a lot of comfort to people during this bizarre time, when it's been so easy to feel like you're alone. He's an artist, an author, and the loveliest person I think I've ever met. His first book, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and the Horse, has been on the bestsellers list for a frankly ridiculous number of weeks. He uses beautiful illustrations and poignant words to depict the world of four unlikely friends and their most important life lessons. The back cover says it's a book of hope for uncertain times, which might explain why I felt like now was the perfect time to catch up with him. I'm talking, of course, about Charlie Mackesy. Charlie's quite a private person and doesn't do that many interviews, so I was so thrilled when he agreed to come on Mad World from his cottage in the countryside. We're still recording remotely, and like me, he's not a huge fan of technology. But I think the bird song in the background adds to our conversation. And just a warning, there's a little bit of colourful language in this episode. Charlie... We start the podcast by asking the same question to everyone, and that is this. How are you really? (laughs) That's the question I was going to ask you. Well, you can ask me it back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I find that question really fascinating because you ask it, you know, when when we're not in lockdown, you probably, it's a greeting, isn't it? How are you? Yeah. And it's always a choice to say, well, uh, do you want the truth? (laughs) Do you want me to just say something that will end the conversation so how am I now I think I'm I might have gone slightly mad in as much as I've been I seem to have been alone from largely alone for so long in a barn um with a dog mm-hmm. I walk my mum who's up the road and see my sister so I'm a carer for my mum but that you know it's, it's been a very strange and unnatural time 
for everyone. And me, I think the solitariness of it, even though I'm quite normally I'm a bit of an introvert and, and I, I quite like my own world, but um, I think it's affecting me. I don't know quite how yet to mend things open up, but I'll, I haven't hugged anyone for so long, I've forgotten what that feels like. Mm. So the, the, probably a truthful answer to the question is I'm not really sure because I feel like I'm in a vacuum. I think you only really know how you are when when you're in context with someone else. I also think you're right, the isolation of it, I think is it's a kind of when you're when you're alone and when you're in isolation it's like I don't know personally I find that it's it's like gives carte blanche to like blanche it carte blanche to the the, the monsters in my head yeah. to like run riot and I start to believe them That's you know right. whereas I think naturally I am quite a sort of socially anxious person which sounds ridiculous but I remember a year ago when this all started to happen I felt personally I was kind of relieved that I didn't have to go out and see people and do all the normal things but I've realized that those are things that actually rather than driving you mad they actually keep you sane and sort of grounded because they force you out of your comfort zone that's right yeah so tell me you're you're in a barn in in the countryside i am in a tiny village near the sea and so my routine is really simple and i, I, I get the dog um in his little carrying basket and walk down to the sea sniff the air and walk back again and start work then i then i, <laughs> I go to my mum who's 91 and take her for a, i've done this for a year now every day for a walk for about 100 yards and uh, we we chat about the birds and then bring her back, make a cup of tea, green tea with honey, stir it in well, sit down with her, watch the same film, at least the first five minutes of the same film every day. What's that film? Nothing Hill. <laughs> it's a good film. <laughs> she loves it. She loves it. Um, and, then, and then I come back to the barn and I start drawing, you know, and then, then usually by five, I, did you ask me what my routine was? No, but I'm loving hearing it. Yeah, and then a new routine, if you like, is um, on the way back from my mum's not long ago, um, I was in a bit of a rush because I come from Hawaii, and I drove faster than I usually, and I, a, robin, a robin flew out in front of me, and I killed it. <gasps> and I pulled the car over, and I found the robin, and I, I thought maybe it was just, you know, knocked out, wasn't it? And I, I, put it, I put it on my lap in the car and drove to the barn, and just was so devastated. By it because I just love robins, always have just them, they're just amazing. And um, so I then went on Amazon and bought so many bird feeders and sacks of bird feed. <laughs> Basically, in memory of the robin, I've sort of built this huge, great thing in um, a bird feeders, and I'm watching them on that. And robins come, and I think, oh, look, there's the robin, or at least his friend. I can hear the birds in the background and it's really lovely. Yeah, they're all here. Yeah, it's it's so it, it's a sort of tribute to the robin. There are so many here. We'll think about the robin. Did you bury the robin, Charlie? Can I tell you the truth? Yeah. I, I haven't been able to. I, I sort of wrapped him up in sort of a, some cloth and he's still rolled up. And I will. I will. This is very bizarre. See, this is what happens to you in lockdown. Yes. You go more weird than usual. So I can't even bury the robin. I nurtured some tadpoles to frogs and uh, in the first lockdown with my daughter and became absolutely obsessed with them. And one of them died and I was utterly devastated. So there you go. I think all our senses are so heightened and our connections, you know, which are far less than they normally are. You you connect with creatures around you if you're lucky enough to have creatures around you. Um, Because also I think they represent everything that we're not in. So 
they're not in a lockdown. They're not in a pandemic. They're just getting on with life. They've got no clue what's been going on. And you can sort of lose yourself. I stare at them thinking, I wonder, you know, what you think about. I, I do just stare at them through the window <laughs> and sort of quietly, quite jealous of these little birds. That they can fly up into the sky in groups, in groups of more than two. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tolly, it's so nice to be chatting. So I, listen, to anyone, like, you are basically, I think, the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse has been a an absolute phenomenon. Actually, you you are like the Brian Adams. Uh, you're like, where are you going with this, Brian? Yeah, no, of, I like him. Of the Sunday Times bestsellers charts. Like that book has been at number one for how long now? I, you know, I don't know, but quite a while, yes. It's a very odd thing. It's, it? it's not odd. I think it's absolutely, it's resonated because people need that kindness, that compassion and that sort of simple beauty that you capture so well. You know, I met you... At a mutual friend's house. Yeah, I remember well. Yeah, a couple of years ago, and I yeah. remember thinking that you were like, you had this kind of quality about you that just made me really happy to be around. I'm not like I, I'm not just like blowing smoke up your ass or whatever. <laughs> although I am, uh, but like I just your energy. I am, <laughs> I am blowing smoke up your ass. Such a great image. I'm just my brains. <laughs> It's quite a sight. Uh, but I, <laughs> that's lodged in everyone's head now. We had everyone's the, really, we had, everyone's really struggling with that now. There was like the beautiful images of the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse. And I've just completely destroyed them. And on top of them is an image of me blowing smoke up Charlie's ass. Right. <laughs> but on the energy that you have is just so wonderful. And you're funny. And you're and I remember like leaving that, staying at the same place for and just thinking, oh, he he's really awesome. I really like him. Really? Yeah, I do. I do. And I remember we texted wow. a bit and we were gonna go for a swim at the Lido, which we've still never done. And we were gonna go for a run, but I think it was me that was pathetic about that. Listen, we can still go for a run. Yeah. But the 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 way that your drawings have just blown up and it has I mean you obviously you a hugely talented artist who had huge success and before the boy the mole the fox and the horse like your paintings um are just fantastic I've sort of been sucked into a hole doing my research for this yeah. but what I, I wanted to know because I feel like has this all been quite overwhelming for you so it's it's hard to yeah on one level it really has because I think the journey in making the book was pretty intense because it was made on Instagram involving a lot of emotion and me discovering things about what I really felt about existence and it, I felt like it was sort of pouring out of me and I didn't I couldn't really stop it in the through these characters you know so for me that was quite a, it was quite an intense journey just making the book. Um, and then putting it together, and then it was published, and then I thought I might sell a few. I, 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 it wasn't really about selling them; it was just about doing something I thought was right. Mm. And I had no idea, you know. I, and, and the people like, who are my friends who used to look at the roughs of the book, a lot of them said, "Well, Charlie, I mean, it's a bit odd, isn't it? And <laughs> why have you got blank pages? And well, where's the story? There's no story. You know, you don't have a story." And I said, "I just, I, I just can't contrive something that doesn't feel like it's in me. So I'm not." And the story is them. They are the story and their conversations are enough. Well, I don't think so. I think you need to have a narrative. Blah, blah, blah. And so to be honest, when it all that was going on, I just got, well, you know, is it mad? You know, I've never done a book and we'll give it a whirl. And I just hope that someone somewhere, you know, if it speaks to someone who's 
not having a great time, then great. You know, I, it was just, oh, I just hope it cheers people up a bit. And and that was that. And so when it, when it was released and I did all these signings and suddenly discovered that actually, you know, Cyberworld actually has real people attached to it, that they manifested physically. I did a, I did an exhibition and uh, of drawings and I hired this space and it wasn't a very big space. <laughs> but I'm doing this thing. If anyone wants to come, you probably don't want to, but if you do want to come, I'll have a cup of tea or whatever. You know, and um, I was a bit shocked, really, because, you know, you couldn't get in. Yeah, it was like apparently 10,000 people came in a few days and I couldn't, I was really sort of exhausted and deeply moved and I, all these things going at once. And then I think when the, do, doing the uh, signings and meeting people who told me stories of what the drawings had, how their drawings had helped them was one of the greatest privileges I've ever had. In the same breath, I was hearing quite often how someone would tell me that their son, you know, had been suicidal or that they were suicidal or they had an addiction or whatever, they'd been in rehab and would help them or whatever. And so I, I, I suppose all I'm saying is it, it's very hard to say and describe how it feels because it, on one level it's wonderful, on another level it's exhausting. Mm. And somewhere else in me I'm thinking, I'm just, I'm just Scruffy Charlie with a dog in a barn. I don't really know very much. You know, I, I, I'm, you know it, it's ironic because... Um, I'm not on one side of the river saying this is how you get across. I'm on the same side of the river as everybody else saying, how are we going to, I wonder how we can cross this together, you know? And, and I suppose for me, you know, it's, it's continuing to be a surprise, but when I see schools using drawings uh, or hospitals using drawings and printing out sticking on their walls, I just cry. Mm. You know, I think that the biggest success for me is not the set of books that that doesn't really that's sort of, you know, the bestseller lists are not really the thing for me. What does move me genuinely is when nurses send me photographs of the, how they've stuck all the drawings on the walls and where they have tea when they're exhausted and how they help them. Or someone told me their mum was dying and they were reading the book together and she got to the page and says, what do we do when our hearts hurt? We wrap them in friendship, love and whatever the lines are. So they wake hopeful and happy again. And they processed her death that was about to happen with each other, with her, with the book. Mm. And I just wept like a child because it was, it, they found a way of really, you know, I don't know what I'm saying really, Bryony, but you're it, saying beautiful. It's hard beautiful. to describe, but I suppose that for me is, that would always be the reason why I'm glad I did it, not for service. That's a lovely thing, but it's, it's the stories I hear mm. of people who've, the book has really helped and that, that I've, you know, that's it for me, really. I think that, that you nailed it. You know, when you said that you're not standing on one side of the river and saying to people on the other side, this is how you get here. No. You're no. with them on the same side of the river. Uh-huh. Like, I think so so often now, and it was really interesting, and you also just said that it's shown to you that there are actual humans in this strange yeah. place yeah. called social media. And yeah. I think there is this real disconnect that we see it all the time and, you know, it's a it's a story that keeps happening and will keep happening until we get to grips with it, isn't it? It's the kind of be kind and then you have the movement that says, you know, the culture wars and all of that. Yeah. And you know, social it's almost like there's a there is a war taking place currently, but it's not taking place physically around us on our houses. It's t- it's taking it's taking place in our phones. Yeah. You know, and 
I think it's really interesting that we, we're all kind of obsessive about our exercise and nutrition and all that and looking after ourselves. And yet we can allow ourselves to, to kind of consume quite a lot of hatred and bile just by uh-huh. literally looking at our phones and going for a scroll on Instagram or Twitter or what have you. Yeah. And I think that your drawings, you know, in your page on Instagram, is like a, it's such a lovely kind of, it's almost like a ceasefire. You know, I'm, I'm taking this war analogy a little bit too far, maybe. No, but, no, I don't, yeah. You know, I think that also when I look at your drawings and I, I read the book, it's for me, it's like this kind of what what the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse represent is, I suppose it's more than kind of kindness, because kindness, I think, is a word that can be kind of, I, think, I feel like it's been weaponized against people so much. But it's like it's like a sort of radical acceptance of everyone as they are. Yeah. I, I think, particularly at the moment, we've we've harboured and stored up so much emotion um, that you know the, we we're both like walking balls of emotion, and I think we need places to put it. And sometimes it's just finding something to be angry about that then releases this anger that we have about all manner of things. It could just be that we're sick of the people we've been stuck with, or we're sick of the fact we can't go to, to work, or we haven't been outside, or had a drink with anyone. This. Like we're, I think there's just we're barrels of, of sadness and anger and hope and fear and all these things that need that need a voice. Mm. And it doesn't surprise me that there is these voices. Nothing really surprises me now. But I do think, in terms of being on the same side of the river, we are really all on the same. We're just human beings. The human condition is the same. Mm. We just were born into different circumstances, different cultures, different places, and. And I, I see your worldviews are different because but ultimately we're the same. And if we can grasp the common similarities and recognise each other and say, how are we, how we going to do this together? No, no, you know, you're wrong and I'm right. But I, I think we can start by being kind to ourselves and kind to each other. And I think um, it sounds very simple. But I, I remember reading that everything you learned in kindergarten is probably enough for you to live on, which is, you know, share, be kind. What were the other things? Say sorry. Mm. Um, wash your hands wash your hands to try not to poo in the corner I remember when I was at, I always remember I got a searing memory of someone doing a poo <laughs> on the ledge where you put the chalk the black I just remembered that I hadn't thought this since I was three and I remember it was so carefully done um, anyway sorry I digress you know the thing is, the thing is Brian you know it's so being human is difficult and um, I think it's been made twice as difficult of late. Yeah. And so, you know, I think for a start, we should all say to ourselves, God, well done, you know, flipping it. Well, well done. I, this is incredible. We've done this. We've got this far. It's incredible. We, we're still here and haven't gone completely insane. Mm. That we're still actually hoping against hope for good things to come, that we can, we can be kind to each other, that there is anyway, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'm saying. I do. And I love what you're saying. And I read, I was just gonna say, I, I, there's a, an art critic, I suppose, who described your paintings and your work on a more wider, so not just the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse, but um, yeah. saying, described is all your paintings as a radical, loving, all encompassing acceptance, love and celebration of the human person. Which I thought sometimes. Oh, who really said well. that? I don't, I haven't written down their name and I'd oh. have to get it on my phone, but I, I thought it kind That's of. That's a lovely thing to say. Yeah. It sort of summed it up.
Now, I wanted to talk to you more about what drawing means to you, what art means to you, how you got into it, what it helps you to do. Mm. Listen, people ask me this question, does writing things help? Is it like therapy? So I'm going to ask you the same question back. Is drawing like a form of therapy for you? Okay, so here's how I see drawing. For me, I I knew I could do it at school. I could, you know, it was a a subject I could get away with in the past. And and it was fine, but I didn't have a reason to do it. Mm -hmm. So you can have a latent facility for something. Um, you can, you know, oh, he's quite good at voice, but it just sits there, and it's a bit like spaghetti that dries in a larder that hasn't had the water added to it. Mm. It's so for me, I needed a reason. And when my when I was eighteen, uh, my best friend, who I shared a house with, actually, who left college early, he was my best mate, and he was killed in his car. Mm-hmm. And I remember having quite a weird reaction to it. I remember for a few months, I couldn't really, every, my whole world was upside down and I drank a lot. I used to streak, started streaking at public events because I remember thinking, none of this makes sense anymore. All these things that we think are important are not, and the things that are really important, we don't seem to be very concerned about. Or oh, everything, you know, so career, success, money, da-da-da, clothes. But that's meant to be the sort of paramount of things. And I just thought, no, they're not. Jamie's dead. You know, what, what was that? For what? I, I was just trying to make sense of death and life and love and all those things. And suddenly I discovered one day a drawing pen. And I sat down and uh, started drawing. And like Forrest Gump, I suppose, I didn't, I just couldn't stop. And I went, I was started drawing London. I'd sat for four years. <laughs> I drew London. <laughs> I drew London streets of so I sat and, and sold them to strangers with it with listening to music. Like in when you see them by Hyde Park on the on the walls. No, I didn't <laughs> hang to railings. I was just no, no, I didn't hang them anywhere. I just would sit with a, with music in my ears, drawing buildings. And someone would come along and say, Oh, that's nice. You know, I'll buy that little drawing. And so I, I kept thinking, okay, you know, and as I was drawing, I used to cry quite a lot. Really? And I didn't, yeah, I didn't know why. So I would draw, listen to music. And make these marks on paper and then often cry. And someone, you know, years later, would probably go, oh, well, yeah, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a therapeutic process. But no, yeah, I clearly it was. Uh, I don't think I knew what I was doing. And I always thought, ah, oh, you know, tomorrow, Charlie, you'll do something, you know, more uh, responsible or, you know, something that you could buy a house with in the end, just not drawing things on paper and selling the strengths. But I just didn't ever really feel in my gut that I wanted to stop it and I did a show um some gallery guy walked past and said do you want to do an exhibition and the drawings and I said oh okay that's very kind and that's how it went this hand to mouth so just all the time thinking you can quit anytime <laughs> you know there's always time to do something else you know go and study something or whatever and so for me it was definitely like a journey that I had options out of every day or gave myself options, and to this day, I, you know, the, the option's still there. But I've been through lots of different phases. So you know, then went into I was quite obsessed with Black American gospel music and stuff. I went to New Orleans and drew there, and and I got involved in the idea of you know forgiveness and love. I did big bronzes. Um, you know, I've done lots of things, mm. and I think what, underneath it all is a desire, is a sort of feeling that that love is the love is the answer so love drives us 
to be human or I don't know what I'm saying really I'm too many coffees but it, it's like a it's like a journey I made that I haven't least really managed to stop and it, at some point I probably will just turn around and go go what was all that I was doing? <laughs> you know it's really odd it is really odd but that I guess is the kind of the beauty of it and I think that people can sit down and make like career plans can't they and 10-year plans and whatever but often the people that are actually successful are people that just go with it and trust that you know I guess it's like trusting that it will all come right in the end I don't know if that makes sense yeah no I I think enjoy the process as well I mean trusting is one thing but I think I just really love making the marks and hoping against hope, yeah, as you say, that it'll come out and it may, it may, it may not. But if you can in, enjoy it, and I, I've done lots of like, uh, I went through a, sort of two or three years of volunteering at, at a centre where you, you people were suffering with Alzheimer's, and I used to teach them to draw, and I had a class of, of 30 people. And a lot of them wouldn't draw because they said they weren't good enough. And I said, well, why not abandon the idea that you have to be good at anything? Mm. Why not just try and enjoy the process rather than worrying what it looks like? Mm. And pretend that you're four years old, because when you were four, you didn't give a monkey. It's only when you got to seven and, and the teacher said, or someone said, that's not very good. And you, you go, oh, you're right. And you become self-aware. I said, so let's try not to be self-aware. And why not just pretend that no one's going to judge you, particularly yourself. So switch off your editor in your head and just have fun for an hour. And there's one lady who I think initially when she first started with me, she could do, she would draw in an hour, like three inches of colour lines. That was it. And by the by after a few months, she exploded. <laughs> she just became this sort of Picasso-esque lady who was just thumping out these colourful things that all her life she probably had inside her that she couldn't express. And she she would throw them away. That's what I loved about it. She, she got deep pleasure. And once she'd done them, scramble them up because she said, I don't really care. I'm just loving the journey rather than what it looks like at the end. And actually, to be truthful, the only some of the ones she threw out were just spectacular. Really? Yeah, just really, really. Yeah, we did a show of them in the end. But I, I remember thinking, wow, you've really, really got that you're just loving doing it and not worrying about anything other than the process. You know what? I think people listening, that think of, thing of be four years old, stop, yeah. you know, do it, not do it not for how it's going to look, but for how it's going to make you feel is kind of... yeah it's brilliant life advice, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. But I also, I just want to like rewind back a tiny bit because you mentioned this and then we kind of moved on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you said that you the reaction to this awful event, and I'm so sorry that you lost Jamie. You drank a lot, you kind of lost yourself and you used to streak at public okay, events. Yeah. Can we can we just talk about that? Because <laughs> I love it. And like, I'm, I'm like... I remember going to a football match once and someone's streaking and thinking, what a legend. Tell me, let's go inside the mind of a streaker. And are there images and evidence out there of you streaking? Let's not go down that route. It wasn't (laughs) conscious. I just remember being at some race meeting, I think, and I just went along because someone asked me to. And I, I just got overwhelmed with this notion that everything we were doing was just a bit silly in the light of death. Mm. I know it sounds odd, but it, I couldn't no. summarise it. I, I, I just thought, what? You know, it, well, what, what, all these people are trying to wear the right clothes and the right ties and have the right cars and say the right things and, and be tribal and say, have the right noises in their mouths to belong. And bollocks. <laughs> like, this isn't, this is not what, this is, is this life? 
Yeah. My best friends, in the, my best friends in the ground. And what really matters now, because that's all I'm concerned about, is is what matters. Because what doesn't matter can basically bugger off. Yeah. So what, what's it? What's really important here? And because pretending to be things and trying to, uh, whatever you know, it's, it all seemed like silly. And so I did the silliest thing I could think of, which is in my response, it was, I just remember just slowly, some guy was talking to me about something. Uh, I, don't, I can't remember. I just remember just taking my jumper off. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just strip while he was... Yeah, I just took my clothes off. And he said, what are you doing? And I just started running. <gasps> and I remember running through cars and then the crowd and then onto this open race there were no, There were no horses. No, no, no. It was all quiet. They were all waiting, you know. And I just felt this is the best way of summarising how I feel about things it's i know it doesn't make any didn't really it sounds silly now but i remember being asked by a policeman you know what why you did you get arrested yeah and he was great and that he was you know i think at the end of his career and he'd probably seen it all and um he'd literally seen it all once he'd arrested yeah, you charlie yeah, and, and not much <laughs> and, and so I, I said you know to be honest i don't know what i'm doing i'm just my best friend just died and, I, you know, nothing makes sense. He's, yeah, I get that, but, you know, perhaps try to express yourself in a way that's less, less offensive. And I said, yeah, you're right. You know, but, it, you know, it was just we had a funny chat. Um, and then so I think I was met with grace, you know, and, and he listened. And there are moments, it's sort of these moments in life where, you know, someone treats you in a way that instead of slapping you, they introduce you to a, a different way of seeing things. Instead of punishing you, they say, have you seen it this way? Or channel your anger this way. Anyway, yeah. I don't know what I'm saying. No, that's, but it is that. It's compassion, isn't it? And um... I think it is, you know, and being heard and being seen and being understood and trying to do that with each other. Mm. You know, I think, I think we, we change direction by degree, but over 10 years, that one degree change then becomes 100 miles. Mm. And those one degree changes can happen just through an act of kindness or a moment of grace or a, a, a moment of someone completely accepting you as you are and you, you're, sh- you're shocked by it and therefore you can accept yourself as you are and then you, can, you suddenly find yourself feeling more comfortable in your own skin because of it and etc. Someone loves you better. Yeah. I mean, I, there was a drawing I did in the book, which is when, when the, the boy says, so you know all about me and you still love me. And horses, yeah, you know, and then horses, we love you all the more. And it's just, it's that terror of being discovered. Mm. And then once you are discovered, you'll love more. It's a really beautiful idea to me. I'm actually like, I, I find that really moving. Like, I remember when I was in active alcoholism and addiction and mm. the things and the places that it would take me to and the shame I felt. And, yeah. and then, you know, it's the same with like all mental illnesses, I think. And then, I remember like going to rehab and and telling everything to the the counselor and the love you know the love I guess it's like um, that thing of learning to love yourself and it's actually really interesting because I saw a tweet from the pope and obviously I don't, <laughs> I don't often I don't follow the pope I try not to go on twitter that often but I was glad I went on for this one thing and it, it was I'm not going to get you know, religious or anything that I don't want to get, but it was a really beautiful quote that summed up recovery for me, like recovery from all mental health issues was that God doesn't love you because you're good. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you because you're you. 
and I thought that was yeah, that was so powerful. Like it was that mm-hmm. moment, which I suppose you're you, you in that drawing as well. You know, we don't we don't have to be good. We just have to be us. Yeah, and I, I, that's right. And I, you, you could argue that no one is good. Uh, you know, we, I, we have varying degrees of goodness, but no one is utterly good. Mm. But it's true. So being loved for who you are is, is and, and and knowing that is is life changing. I think. And I think shame, as you say, is that is a thing that makes us hide from each other and God or whoever, whatever it is we're hiding from. Mm. And I think one of the reasons why why we hide is because we're terrified deep down of not being loved mm. or being rejected. Mm. And actually the thing that connects us is the vulnerability that shame wants to stop us from mm. having. So shame says, don't say that. You mustn't say that. Hide, hide, you'll be safe if you know them. And don't be vulnerable. It's a disaster. Mm. there's something deeply wrong with you that if people knew they would hate you for and, and actually it's the reverse they, yeah you know, um, they love you all the more for being open and honest you love you i love you all the more because you dared you dared and you, you told us and, and none of us are good charlie i cannot think of a more perfect beautiful way to end this podcast than with those words I mean, you said it wrong. It's none of us is good, isn't it? But none of us are good. But anyway. We don't give a shit about grammar. We it's a podcast. That's a little t-shirt. I, <laughs> Can you make that? Can you have the, the horse yeah. saying to the boy, I don't give a shit about grammar? Yeah, I'm sad. Yeah, yeah, it's a great, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, the thing is, I'm not sure how schools would react given the fact they stick them on. Maybe they, the teachers wouldn't stick them on. That's so. true. Let's just leave it here in this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, you know, I'm sad because, I, you know, I, it takes me a while. And I think my brain is like a slow train. It doesn't really respond. It takes a while to move. And um, so with this podcast, incident, I'm now thinking of a million things. Sort of like that. Um, but, you know, thank you for having me. I mean, I, I've, I've loved it. But I do feel one of the things that I suffer from is that in lockdown is a, is a disconnect. Mm. So when you, when you say, how are you at the beginning of the podcast, I didn't know. Mm. And and then I, and then I thought, gosh, I'm on a podcast now. My mouth has to move, but I can't connect my mouth to my head because I don't use it very much. And all that's going on in me, and I think that probably is endemic right now. Yeah, uh, I know we have telephones, but I I feel that there is this sort of this weird numb divide and disconnect. And you know, obviously, I don't live with people, but you know, maybe if you do, that it's not so huge. But for me, it really is. And so, in this conversation with you, I think. I felt like, a, you know, you take a soup out of a deep freeze and you leave it on the table to defrost. And it's like, I think that's what we're like, is I think it's going to take time for us to, to sort of slow defrost. And I've only just in the last sort of four minutes really felt connected. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think I'm just a little bit distant from months of not having conversations like that. And I think if this is true for me, it must be true for others is what I'm saying. Absolutely. And it's okay. You know, that's the other thing. It's really okay. You know, I know after this podcast, I think, God, I could have said so many better things or or not banged on about drawing on the streets of London. I'm not banged on about streaking. I could have said things. But actually, you know, it's fine. Whatever you say, just let it be said and accept it. You said some wonderful things. I have, I have really, really enjoyed it. And I had a moment of connection about six, seven minutes ago when you said about loving you for... For, for, for you and uh, we love you all the more and um unusually i might end with the question i start with then because if you've okay. if you yeah how are you really now charlie <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a that's a great question again I, I i would 
I would again reply, I'm not sure. Mm. But it, but I'm more connected to how I feel. And obviously it's coloured by the fact that I'm having a lovely conversation with you. And I think communication for me makes me feel alive. Mm. And it makes me feel connected. And I think connection is what we all deep down want. So I feel much better for having spoken to you. I feel um, less alone, less disconnected, less numb, more energised in a way. Because I think we energise each other as, as humans. Mm. Totally. You know, and being heard and understood and sharing stuff is just so crucial to existence. And I know that I haven't had as much of that as I would have liked in the last year. So how am I now? I feel better now than I did, less alone. And uh, I suppose underneath that answer is, this, I think, a deep sadness mm. that isn't just about me. It's about everything that has gone on and is going on and all the struggle. So my, my how am I always seems to be connected with a wider question is how are we, you know? Mm. And because I think we're all, I know that sounds really, really, but I mean, it's, you know, we can't escape that, at least I can't escape that. So I feel um, so some sort of deep, sort of a strange cocktail of hope and sadness and energy and connection and desire for all this. Yeah. I wish we were doing it face to face because I'm, I'm t- <laughs> I'm a bit <laughs> you've got me you've got me a bit emotional and I oh, oh, oh no oh, no in a good way like I think okay, okay. Oh, god it's just it does remind me of the, how much we do need connection like yeah, but proper connection you know and, and, and I, I think we're starved of it yeah and then I think you, to be truthful then we see that you, actually what you're talking about the sort of hate wars and other stuff I think a lot of it is to do with the fact we we're angry because we don't feel connected we're, I mean obviously there are the real things we get angry about but there's a large part, slice of that pie chart, if you like, that, that cake uh, of us that is feels shortchanged and frustrated and, and disconnected and angry as a result. And in need, our need. So, you know, I just the need for connection and the need for a hug is so visceral. Mm. Um, and to be looked at in the eye and to be, to be all these basic things um, that seem so easy have become so rare and, and the, the results are terrible in me mm. and so you know at the beginning of this podcast okay I'm doing a podcast of Bryony what am I going to say how am I going to say this I, I'm so frozen how am I going to even begin to do this conversation and you know and it, as I said it's this, this frozen soup that's now defrosted and, and then the agony is now I'm going to yeah, you can say, well done, Charlie, thank you so much for being on this podcast. And I'll go back to being in this barn. Listen. Doing a drawing for comic relief as it is today. But that's a good thing. But Charlie, we we have each other's numbers. We can yeah, yeah, we yeah, can yeah, we could like actually connect on the phone and not we have can. to record it for a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> very true. Wise words. There's a crazy idea. Um, but you know, for anyone, any you know, the, anyone listening, you know who. I, I, I suppose I, you know, I want to always want to say thank you, you know, to anyone who's shown any warmth towards what I've been doing. Because um, it's been a strange time, and I'm grateful, and always will be. And I'm grateful to you for being interested in having me talk to you. Because it's it's a strange old thing, isn't it? It is, but you've you've brought a lot of joy and comfort to a lot of people, and I think that. Please always hold on to that. And I am, I heard some seagulls a moment ago and I, I am desperate. Yes. I'm desperate to be where you are and not in South London with police helicopters oh, yeah. <laughs> whirring above me. <laughs> 
But there we go. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I miss London. When you come back here, we will go for that swim at Brockwell Lido. Okay, that'd be lovely. I'd love that, actually. Thank you. Before you go, please follow Madworld on your podcast app to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you feel like it, leave us a rating and a review. I love to read what you think about the shows and also see your guest suggestions. Mad World is all about helping our listeners, and I love hearing from you. The Telegraph also let me loose in column form, so if you'd like to hear even more from me, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash madworld, and you can get your first 30 days access to the website completely free. If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in our podcast today, the following organisations offer free and confidential support over the phone. The Samaritans can be reached 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 116123. Or you can contact the mental health charity Mind for advice on a range of mental health issues. Their phone number is 0300-123-3393. That's 0300-123-3393. They're accessible 9am to 5pm, Monday to Friday, excluding bank holidays. There's also Young Minds, who provide support if you're a parent or a carer worried about a child's welfare. They're on 0808 802 5544. That's 0808 802 5544. If you prefer tech support, Shout is a 24-7 UK crisis tech service available for times when people feel they need immediate support. By texting Shout to 85258, you will be put in touch with a trained crisis volunteer who will chat to you via text. And importantly, please remember this. You are not alone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.